from my children's book that someone sent to me as a gift. Close your Bible, sit back, and here's the story of Ruth. It's called I Love Ruthie, the story of Ruth and her one true love. It goes like this, it can't be true. I can't go on. Oh, everything we had is gone. Naomi wept. Poor Ruthie cried. Naomi's precious sons had died. And oh, one precious, priceless son, Naomi's son, that very one was Ruthie's husband. Lord above, her one and only one true love. Now, sometimes when it rains, it pours, and this time it would pour for sure. For evil people rule the land as evil people sometimes can and sometimes will and sometimes do when you and I allow them to. From here to there, from there to here, the food began to disappear. It filled the people full of fear, yes, full of fear from ear to ear. Orpah, Ruth, Naomi cried, the time has come. We must decide. We have to leave. We cannot stay. We cannot stay. Not now. No way. From north to south, from west to east, the men are gone, extinct, deceased. Without a man, Naomi said, we're all about as good as dead. Now, ladies, <laughs> things were different then, so don't get too upset. <laughs> Amen? Just look at me. I'm old and wrinkled, sagged and bagged and crooked and crinkled, crumpled, puckered, nooked and crannied, Rip Van Winkled, grayed and grannied. Oh, there is just no hope in sight to find another Mr. Wright or even just a Daffy Duck, an Elmer Fudd or Mr. Yuck. <laughs> the time has come, the time is now, the time has come right now and how. You must return, you must, I say, return back home right now today. Naomi prayed that they would bite and Orpah knew that she was right. She packed her bags without a fight and left for home that very night. But oh, not Ruth, not her, no way. She had a thing or two to say. I can't return. I want to stay. I will not go right now today. For where you are is where I'll be. And when you stay, you'll stay with me. And when you die, I'll die with you. And that is what I'm going to do. Your God will be my God, and he will surely care for you and me. Oh, what a thing for Ruth to say. That kind of thing can make your day and make you shout, hip, hip, hooray. They hugged and kissed then packed up tight and left for Bethlehem that night. Naomi, is it really true? What happened, girl? Just look at you. Your hair, your clothes, your shoes, your toes, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your nose. You're looking pale. You're looking thin. In fact, if we may say again, you're really looking more akin to something that the cat dragged in. Well, things look bad the way things can, but listen now, God had a plan. Oh, Naomi, please don't cry. Oh, please don't cry. I'll tell you why. I'll find a farm. I'll be real nice. I'll ask them once or maybe twice to take our jugs and jars and sacks and fill them full of treats and snacks. Yes, crumbs and morsels, flakes and flecks, leftover kernels, crumbs and specks, a black banana, bagels, locks, some cheese stuck to a pizza box. I'll beg. And plead, I'll sob and bleat, I'll ask them for a tasty treat, an itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, tiny scrap for us to eat. So off she went. She did her thing. She did it, never noticing that someone had been fastening his bulging eyes on everything. Who is that girl out in my field? And what's she doing, Boaz squealed? <laughs> Look at that hair. Look at those eyes. Excuse me just one minute, guys. I've got to go and socialize. 
He shaved his toes, he licked his lips, he checked his teeth for cracks and chips, he combed the bugs out of his hair. Yes, Don Juan, double debonair with savoir faire extraordinaire. Now, don't be too quick to judge, amen? Well, don't think what you're thinking then, for Boaz was a gentleman. Please stay with us. Take what you need. Take what you need and more indeed. He loaded up all Ruthie's sacks and jugs and jars with treats and snacks. Yes, it was true love at first sight, a double-thumping heart delight. She headed home. Oh, what she'd found. Her world was turning upside down. She ran the whole way back to town, about ten feet above the ground. I'm telling you, tonight's the night. Naomi grinned, and if I'm right, there's only one thing left to do to get that man to say, I do. <laughs> so do they did. Oh, did they do? They fluffed and puffed. They crimped and curled. They powdered, sweet, perfumed, and pearled. They thanked the Lord. They sang his praise. They marveled at his wondrous ways. And off she went into the night to have and hold her Mr. Right, her Mr. Shining Armored Knight, her straight-from-heaven-sent delight. Now, as I'm sure that you supposed, Boaz said, yes, when Ruth proposed. Yes, Ruth proposed. That's what I said. Just look it up. Go right ahead. Well, good morning. Hope you enjoyed that recap of our book of Ruth, uh, first three chapters. Uh, today we're going to finish it up in chapter four. Uh, before we begin, I want to pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you for what you've done in our lives. I want to thank you for bringing us here today and the message you have for us. I ask, Father, that you lay it on our hearts, the plan you have for us, which is certainly significant and part of the plan that you've had all along to redeem each and every one of us so we may be able to live with you in eternity. I thank you for that opportunity and the the purpose that you've given us through that plan. All this we ask and praise you through your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so it's that time of year at my work where we're to uh, ask by our management to look at the plans that we laid out for this year and review them and our goals and to say, hey, I accomplished this or I did not and, and to kind of study that. But in that same time, we're looking to the future and what the plans are for the future and where we're going in the next year. And sometimes looking at those plans and goals uh, and, and trying to align them with uh, the company, the organization, uh, we, I, I and some of my staff simply look at them and go, how is this significant? How, how does this play in the grand scheme of things? And to be totally honest, some of those things are personal to me, and they are nothing more than personal growth to me, and they're not going to affect, uh, at least right now or in a significant way, the organization. Uh, those of you who don't know, um, I actually work for IBM, who has more than 700,000 employees, so I feel like a very little fish in a very large pond. Um, and that wheel keeps turning. But there are things that in in those plans for that year that are significant. There are things that I have to hold to and be true to to uh, further on our support of our client. Uh, I, I think could, the wheels could fall off and that relationship between us and the client can go really bad and it can make it a struggle and it can also maybe even sever that tie and I may be out of a job. So there is certainly significance there. And to the organization, 
uh, definitely the, uh, um, the look on our organization on how that was handled uh, will certainly be tarnished if, if it goes bad. So God also has a plan. He has a very large plan for us. His plan is for redemption. For us to live with him in eternity forever. Forever and ever and ever. This plan, we are involved. It says in Jeremiah 29, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. He has us in mind. But all too often, I know, I forget that I am part of his plan and that he wants me to be involved in that. Too often, I know mine and some of you may be able to identify, my focus turns on me and that selfishness turns on me and what I'm going through and that focus, removing my sight from the Lord to myself, I come up with things that he doesn't love me. He's left me. He doesn't care about what I'm going through right now, which is farther from the truth, so far from the truth. He wants us to recognize the kingdom things. We are to recognize and work in the kingdom. We are to be doing his work for him, and he will take care of us. He will deal with the rest of the stuff around us. But it is that focus on him and the kingdom and what he has for us, the plans he has for us. And yes, they are significant in his bigger plan. We can look back to Ruth in the first three chapters. Ruth is consistently, he, she declares it in the beginning in chapter one that your people will be my people, my, your God will be my God. And from there you can see her focus where she says in those very same verses, Naomi, I'm going to leave everything that I know and I'm going with you to Bethlehem. I am going to take care of you. She does the next plan. She decides to take care of Ruth or take care of Naomi, just like she said. And she is going to go out into the fields, hands and knees, and pick up the scraps that have been left from the harvest of the barley. She catches, and in that, God sets her in that plan, sets her in Boaz's field. Not a mistake, certainly a part of his plan. Rewarding her in being honest and true to what she said she was going to do. Then her decision and encouragement from her mother-in-law to pursue Boaz and to even go as far as proposing to him and say, will you take me? I am, I am done grieving. I am ready to marry again. Would you? So now her part of the plan is to sit and wait, which is a very hard thing to do. But nonetheless, that's where she's at right now. And the focus and the plan is now handed over to the next, to Boaz. And that's where we go here in chapter 4 of Ruth. So if you will turn to me at chapter 4 in Ruth, uh, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz then took ten elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did also. So two things here. 
that really jumped out at me is, first, Boaz, he's not wasting any time at all. His, he no more sends uh, Ruth off to Naomi, and he runs to the city gate. He knows that's where this is going to go down. So there he is, expecting. He sees the... He sees the Redeemer. He sits him down. He sees the elders. He sits him down. He knows he's got the stage set for where he needs, what he needs to do and what needs to be said. Now, another one is the gate. Very important place to be in, in this time and for this event and for what needs to be done. God has placed this. This is an area of where a commentator I read, let me get to that, um, explains it like this. The city gate is kind of an outdoor court, a place where judicial matters were resolved by elders and those who had earned confidence and respect of the people, a place for business and as a kind of forum and public meeting place. Now, there's another reason that I've read in other commentaries that at the gate where all this business was handled because if you look at a map of Jerusalem for uh, just example, many of the roads in there were very narrow. There wasn't much room to get in there and that's a lot of where that space was used up by the marketplace. So there wasn't room to conduct business so they did it at the gate. Not only that, you conduct your business and then you go into the city and uh, it was just kind of an order of things and Boaz knew that and God knew that. So to recap real quick, Boaz uh, gets and sits down the uh, guardian redeemer first in line. Then he sits down the elders as witnesses and he states his business. Um, Here is Boaz's turn. We had Naomi in chapter one stepping out in faith to return to Bethlehem in her home. We have Ruth stepping out in faith going with Naomi, caring for her, reaching out to Boaz and proposing to him. And now it's his turn. Now he's, re- he's entering into this situation in second place. He knows there's somebody ahead of him. But that's, he's not letting that bother him. He knows God has a plan. Sometimes I even suppose, and it's not said in the scripture, that God has even... I suppose that God may have even given him some detail or insight to the outcome of this. And you can see it in his actions. He's excited. He went there right away early in the morning. Um, He got there before seemingly anybody else would be there, so he did not miss out on this opportunity. Um, And he lays it all out. He's a man of integrity. We've read that in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. He's a man of integrity and he's not going to cheat his way to what he wants. He's going to play it by the book, lay it all out there, and let God do it. Moving on to verse 3. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention. Suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Wait a minute. This is God's plan, right? Ruth proposes... Boaz says, yeah, let's get this done. 
He gets the rights to go and uh, redeem Naomi and Ruth. What happened here? The plan is falling apart. God's plan is falling apart. But wait, there's more. Verse 5, Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And at this, the guardian redeemer said, well, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. If, if you, redeem it, uh, you redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now, in earliest times in Israel, for redemption, for the redemption and the transfer of property it, to become final, one party would take off his sandal and give it to another. This was a method of legalizing the transaction, so the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself and remove his sandal. The deed was done. Boaz has gotten what he wished. Interesting, taking off your sandal and handing it off to somebody else. I was kind of one of those quirky things. And Ruth, very much like some of the things that um, Nathan was talking about last week, uh, the uncovering the feet, and, and I think there were a couple others. It's just very interesting. But one thing that I believe God had revealed to me is that if you take your shoe off and hand it to somebody, you know you did it. There's no doubting. There's no denial of what you just did. It is so awkward for me to just stand here like this. It's unbelievable. And you guys will probably never remember or never forget that I had a sermon and I took my shoe off. It's something that never leaves your mind. It is a witness in itself and it is an outward expression of what you intend to do. So, just so I don't gas you out, put this back on real quick. So, the sandal was handed over. Boaz is in his own right and in the right of everybody around him to marry Ruth and uh, redeem Naomi and Ruth and their family in the land. Moving on to verse 9. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kelion, and Malon. I have also required Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead of his property, or with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Boaz here reaches out and says, I intend to redeem. It's an announcement. It's, this is what my intent is to do. And he gets to do that. But in that intent and in marrying Ruth, God has a bigger plan to redeem the entire family, to redeem the land and acquire, uh, redeem the land and keep it in the uh, hands of the family for generations to come, to uh, redeem Naomi and put her in a position where she has a son who is going to take care of her for many years to come, just as her as if she was his own mother. And also the redemption of Ruth uh, and the carrying on of the name of, his, of her former husband uh, for future. Now, in that, it's kind of interesting as you look back and look back a couple verses and the guardian redeemer, we don't get his name. He decided to 
lack of a better way, and this is my personal thought, wipe himself from the pages of the Bible in his decision to not follow through with what he was called to do. So one note to put out there and make everybody uneasy about it. Um, but God's plan is coming through fruition. We're seeing it develop, develop, and develop. Verse 11, Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up a family of Israel. May you have a standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So along with, after the announcement, the crowd, the elders, uh, give confirmation of their witnessing to, to Boaz, saying, yes, we saw this. But not only that, they're compelled. They give a, to give blessing to the couple, the new couple that is uh, got a whole future ahead of them, and they give them blessings that, interesting enough, come with examples that are in the line, ancestral line of Boaz. So first we have, uh, and I, I, I seriously encourage you to go into Genesis and look these uh, stories up also, because they really fall in line with what God's plan is for, um, for us and for them at that time. So we step back to Rachel and Leah in Genesis 29:31, who bore sons to Jacob, who in chapter 35, he gets a new name from God, which is Israel. So that's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And then one, the next example, Judah, who is one of those 12 tribes, and his relationship and story with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, which coincidentally is very much like the story we're reading here in Ruth, where the, uh, the ancestral line between Abraham and David is almost cut off. But God's plan does endure. And now we have, now it's time for the wedding. Verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And then he made love to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Here in this verse, God's plan of marriage is laid out. There is an order to our God. One commentary simply put it, leave, cleave, and then interweave. And in that order. This, I think this verse uh, serves a reminder of those of us who have followed that order uh, in the uh, plan of marriage and how much of a blessing it has been uh, in our marriage to follow that order and how easy it has been for us through that marriage. And some of us have not followed that order and realize looking at this, the struggles and the stresses that we've had to go through in not following his order. But uh, there is, uh, I hope you find peace in knowing that the God that we serve is a God of forgiveness and renewal. I have a friend that uh, his, his relationship with now wife uh, did not follow that order. Um, they uh, engaged in relations before the ceremony, and um, they had, uh, he had proposed and they had um, set a date, and it was really heavy on his heart that um, this renewal happened, that, that they get back on track to God's plan. 
So he discussed it with his uh, fiance, and they decided that from then on they would uh, get back on God's path and follow the straight and narrow. Excuse me. And uh, um, sever all relations, if you will, um, until their ceremony. And for whatever months, it was hard. You know, they had traveled down this road of sin, and it was fun. It was really fun. And, um, but through prayer and through uh, study, they got through it. And they feel so blessed that they took that step before they were married to do so. Uh, in talking with him, uh, talking with him, he, you know, going back, looking back on it, he wishes he, they never had to go that route. But he is thankful that God renewed them and forgave them, and he is, um, and they're having a blessed marriage right now. It's great. It's great to see there is renewal, uh, even when we step in and try to take over. This is also a reminder to those who are unmarried. And when I say unmarried, I mean those who are either have not yet been married or those who were married and are no longer. Uh, again, with those who are no longer, there is renewal and there is forgiveness there. Count on it. The Father is with you. For those who are unmarried, um, to seek out that uh, direction, to follow that and be in agreement with that with the other person. Uh, an example with that is a young woman I know that has been uh, seeing or dating uh, a young man who's not a believer. And it's uh, her, has put a stress on her, has put a stress on her family. Uh, there hasn't been any kind of formal proposal or anything like that, but it's just what if that is asked? What happens? What do you do with that? And in talking with her sister uh, a couple days ago, I, I, you know, I feel God just gave me this in, insightful a comment to it that whether, if she severs that relationship right now, it's going to hurt. It's going to be, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt for a while. It's two years of your life that you have invested in somebody else. I get it. But look at that and compare it to somebody that, a decision where you go through with it. And now you have years ahead of you of fighting for your relationship with God your children's relationship with God, and your spouse's relationship with God. Certainly a tough decision to make. Moving on to verse 14. The women said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout all Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. And then Naomi took a child, took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. So, it was pretty neat. I, last night, believe it or not, I had to kind of rewrite this part because God... God showed me that back in chapter 1, there were women that greeted Naomi, but they didn't greet Naomi. Who did they greet? Mara. Mara. <laughs> Naomi was still in Moab. But now she has returned. 
and they can see it. There's a brightness, there's a joy, there's a peace in her life, and they can see it. And it's all through being redeemed by God. The plan has coming, is coming and it's finishing, and people can see it. How many times have we had plans in our life that we don't know what God's doing, and we cannot see the end until we get there, and then we look back and go, oh, well, that doesn't seem so bad. That was pretty easy. But we got to let him do it. And we're part of it, so we have a stake in it. But it's all part of his plan. The women are praising the Lord, which we should do on a daily basis, for what he has done in the redeeming of her and Ruth and providing a son for the future. Finishing off the book of Ruth in verses 17. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Abinadab, 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 sorry, Abinadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Finishing off that genealogy, here's another big plan of God to get to, if you look in Ruth, or sorry, look in Matthew and Mark, you'll see the lineages of Joseph and Mary that go from David down to Jesus himself. There is a plan. He shows it to us. He has a bigger plan, but in that huge plan, he sets this small plan of love that continues on that ancestral line between Abraham and Jesus. There's no small significant plan, insignificant plan in God's light in God's world. All things in his kingdom are important and needful. And we get to be a part of that. He's called us each one of us to a plan. Might be different than the other guy. Doesn't matter. This is yours. We might not see the significance. Maybe, maybe this person over here gets to affect numerous lives on a weekly basis. But I only have one person at my work that I'm evangelizing to. That counts. Just that one. It counts. It's a reason. If you weren't there, they would not experience the love of Christ. you got to realize that. We know it's not going to be easy. We're going to have struggles. He's told us that, but he's there with us. There's no reason for us to be afraid. He holds the world, the world in his hands. He is outside all of these struggles. He has conquered death, and he is with us. I like to call the ushers up to the front. And as we do, I want to encourage you that this, the giving that we're going to do right now, is also a participation in his plans. He has many things going on here in Grace Covenant and in the body and outside that, that need provision. And I ask that uh, if willing and able and with a joyful heart, you're able to participate in that, please do.
and bow your heads. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you for this day. I want to thank you for the story of Ruth and the redemption. How we get to play in that plan. No matter how big it is, you include us. You love us. And our redemption is just as important as the next person. We thank you, Father, for that redemption. We thank you for your message today. And we ask for the blessing of peace. Amen. Uh, my challenge for you is God has a plan. Are you going to act in it? Or sit and possibly not be, well, not be remembered, be wiped from that book? His plan will endure. Are you going to be a part of that? I think everybody has a heart for God and wants to be a part of that. But it is a choice that you get to make. And I hope you make the right one. Uh, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you for today. I thank you for the plan you have ahead of us. And I ask that you give us the boldness and the encouragement needed to make that step of faith knowing that you are with us and we are significant. All this we ask and praise you through your son, Jesus. Amen.